Hi there, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to the Cybersecurity Graybeard Podcast. This is a podcast where I focus on students and early professionals and folks moving into the cybersecurity field. Today I'm going to talk about privacy, and this is uh, an item that's pretty near and dear to my heart. I may go a little bit longer than my normal time, but I think it's important to do so uh, for this topic. So I hope everybody enjoys it and listens and uh, sends me some questions. You can reach me at cybergraybeard at gmail.com. You can check out the website at cybergraybeard.com, and you can contact me through that as well. I wanted to point out that I don't use Twitter in part for some of the reasons I'm going to talk about here today, but I personally find Twitter to just be a cesspool and very little good comes of it. So if you do want to communicate with me, uh, reach out on LinkedIn if you want to get personal or certainly shoot me a note. I appreciate everybody uh, sharing the word, spreading the word, letting other people know. I definitely want to get uh, students, early professionals, and retrainees in the cybersecurity field uh, up to date on my podcast so they can learn and grow and advance, which are really the three things I'm focused on for for my listeners. So again, as I said the last time, I haven't been podcasting too much because I don't want to talk to talk. This is not about me. This is not about my hearing my own voice. It's really about teaching people and uh, sharing where I think uh, knowledge can be gained and, uh, and where I can give back. So this topic, it's a bit darker. Uh, I'm going to talk about privacy. This is key to security professionals. Uh, we need to understand the technology that's involved, where privacy comes in, how it's used, how to use it, how do our customers use it and how can they use it, how do our businesses use it. We need to understand the legal, ethical, and moral ramifications of doing a search or a hunt or just what's out there in the public domain anyway. A lot of IT professionals are dealing with privacy directly on a daily basis, particularly in the information technology area. HR will reach out if there are issues, when there are issues. I've had to do this personally, go through individuals' emails, look at individuals' information on the hard drives, on their private machines, or on the servers. Earlier in my career, I was working for a very large aerospace company, and one of my tasks was to go clean off the hard drives, and we found some pornography that was out there, and we tied it back to individuals. And one individual, unbelievably to me now, even 20 years later, is uh, he was terminated after his third offense. So he would download pornography, store it on the hard drives of the servers, we would clean it, and uh, you know, one could argue it's not privacy, and, and that's very fair. However, when you're going through other files, there are private things just because we happen to find the pornography. There were other components that we found during the search that were not related to, uh, to the illicit data, and we did find personal information, emails, and other things. Another job I had later in my career, I was the director of IT and I needed to go and track down how a former employee was communicating internally because she was slandering the organization and I needed to track down who she was talking to, what they were saying, and relay that information. So I'm going in and looking at people's personal emails that they're using on the business machine and uh, this definitely touches uh, a lot of IT professionals. Other group that has to deal with it is the team that works with proxy servers. Proxy servers are devices that are basically gateways. When people go out to websites, they'll go through a corporate proxy server and it will either block them or permit them. And a lot of times people will go to websites that are permissible, however they're using too much bandwidth. Another personal example, I had started a new job and I was listening to Sirius XM radio. This was back in 2005 and it was consuming more bandwidth than most other employees. My boss calls me into our office and wants to know why I'm using more bandwidth than everybody else when I'm a new employee. 
I did not realize streaming radio was a problem, so I ended up doing it another way. Um, but again, it's an example where I had started a new job, and they not only were seeing that I was going to SiriusXM, they saw all the websites that I was going to. So there is no privacy expectation in the workforce. Companies routinely have tools on laptops for even key logging. Uh, I have a, a colleague that had a situation where the head of IT, or I'm sorry, the head of security was actually turning on the employees' cameras and watching them at work without notifying them, and they were also key logging them, and it was such an egregious violation of the privacy, that individual was terminated. However, there are a lot of companies out there that have policies that employees sign off on that authorize their employer to watch them and to log all their keystrokes. So again, privacy is an information technology situation, and now today with the world we live in with the GPS, social media, cameras, videos, the IoT devices, it is ubiquitous. And so I wanted to get a little bit more into that and share some of the uh, stories that have occurred. And uh, again, I, I wanted to preview this with this is a cybersecurity podcast. Privacy is a part of cybersecurity. And we as cybersecurity professionals will be involved with this professionally. And here we go talking about some of it personally. And with that said, I'm sure some of the listeners are working for some of these firms and or dealing with some of this technology. And what I would encourage you to do very strongly is to become more ethical, become more moral, and even understand the legal ramifications of what you're doing. If and when you're spying on or reviewing, spying may be a harsh word, especially if it's justified, but if you're reviewing data from colleagues, you never share what you see with anybody other than authorized folks in legal or HR. You don't go, hey, look, Sally, look what I saw on Bob's hard drive. None of that. You have to be above reproach. Who watches the watchers? At first, we watch ourselves. So be above reproach, be honorable, be ethical. Understand that privacy is an ever-evolving challenge. This is a story that I heard about that's actually quite interesting. Postcards came out in the late 1800s. And if you understand a postcard, it is kind of legacy. Some people may not know what they are. You just get it. It's a square piece of paper. You put the address of an individual on one side or on one half of a side, and then you write a note to somebody, you drop it in the mail, and it goes. There's no stamps. There's very rarely stamps. There's no envelopes. It's just an open card. Anybody that touches it in the mail could read it. Well, there was a huge outcry about privacy. Oh, God, anybody can read my postcard. If I'm on a trip to Italy and I'm sending it back to New York, anybody in the way can read it. And the answer really is, well, then don't put private information on a postcard. And others will say, hey, look, I want the ease of use. And there's really no encrypt. Well, you can encrypt it if you wanted. You could use a cipher, but most people didn't. The bottom line, my point is this, that even postcards in the late 1800s rose privacy. So think about how those people that were complaining about privacy would deal with today's world. With GPS, almost every single one of us carries a device in our pocket that will, if we allow it to, track where we go. We get on social media and we talk about what we had for dinner. We talk about our doctor's visits. We talk about politics and what we're interested in. We give it all away. Cameras. I'm just sitting at a concert and the people in front of me take a selfie. Now I'm in their picture. And now if they have GPS tagging on that picture and facial recognition with some products that are out there, I didn't even give permission for my picture to be captured and my location to be grabbed. I have no say in that. Information, or the IoT of things uh, I talked about in my last one, my last uh, podcast. You have Alexa and Siri. You have Nest. You have Ring. Ring is just the worst of the worst. This is a product that Amazon gives away to police departments, and police departments give it away to consumers so they can record their neighbors. Imagine if you're in an apartment complex 
and you're at the end of the hall and three of your neighbors have ring doorbells, you walking from the elevator to your your room has now been captured, stored at Amazon, and the police can use that information against you without a warrant. So let's say you're out late at night, you come home, there was a crime in the neighborhood, and now the police go to Amazon and they get all these recordings and they identify when you came home, even if you were stumbling because you may have been intoxicated, they can grab that off of there too. You never gave permission for this. It is a direct violation of the Fourth Amendment. However, there's no legislation out there. And because the Fourth Amendment protects us from government search and seizure, it does not protect us from civilian consumption of search and seizure. The government is going warrantless to a private company that owns the recording that another private citizen took of you, and you have no recourse. A good example of this was in 2018, um, on another subject, but it still has to do with Alexa, it still has to do with Amazon. Alexa is listening all the time, and in 2018, a judge in New Hampshire ordered Amazon to give two days of an echo recording uh, on a murder case. And granted, it's a murder case, and everybody will say, oh, well, Cyber Graveyard, why don't you want them to get the information? I don't have a problem with them getting the information. I have a problem with how they're getting the information and how they are grabbing it in mass. They're not going, give me a specific piece of data at this location at this point in time. They're now saying, give me everything for two days, and then I'm going to go ahead and parse through it and see what I can find. It's an egregious violation of privacy that people have no recourse against. GPS tracking. They talk about how it's anonymous. And with the COVID world and where they're trying to do contract contact tracing, they're saying, we're just getting the data in mass. We want to see where people are, how many people are there, and where those people go. I'm like, well, okay, when it's anonymous, that's all great. But you know what? It's anonymous until it's not. And what they're doing is they're gathering metadata, including, I believe, your the MEI number and or other personal data identifiable, I should say personally identifiable data off your mobile device in the metadata that they could correlate back to you. And here's how they do it. I am the only person that has my mobile device that sleeps at this address and goes to that address for work. My wife, she sleeps at this address, but she goes to a different address for work. So therefore, they now can take the metadata from my phone and reverse track it back to me. Now, people will say, well, I have nothing to hide. I don't really care about that. And I would argue this. You have nothing to hide until things change and then maybe you do. I'll conclude this podcast in a few minutes. I will go long because this is a very important topic. There are so many examples, but I'll conclude it with a, 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 a quote that probably everybody has already heard of. It's very famous out of Nazi Germany in World War II, but it's very relevant even today. So I talked about how Alexa is listening all the time, how a judge just had recordings turned over. Ring is owned by Amazon. They own the data. You sign that away. There are all kinds of stories about there, how people have had their Ring cameras um, hacked. Uh, even there's a class action lawsuit against it. Uh, I blame the, the consumer on that. They need to use multi-factor authentication. But be that as it may, forget the device getting hacked. The fact that the government can go and get this data at will without a warrant is a problem. The fact that on social media, people are putting out all this personal information that can be tied to your affiliations, your religious views, your political views, who are your friends, who are not your friends, even our health. It determines where you go. And then they can use, as I said, the metadata on the GPS and reverse backtrack it to you and find out where you are. There was recently a case, uh, it was a couple of years ago now, this was a, a, um, 
this was a win for privacy, and it had to do with a, a criminal. He was a bank robber in Cleveland, and the government used data from the phone companies to pinpoint where he was. This wasn't even using GPS tracking. This was using his phone kept talking to the cell towers. He sued and said it was unlawful search. They had no right to get his location data by going to the... Um, the phone company, he sued, and then it all the way went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court of the United States came back in a 5-4 ruling that said that he was violated, that his privacy was violated because of the way that the search warrant was done was incorrect. The bottom line is a very slim majority. The five liberals voted one way, or four liberals, and Chief Justice John Roberts voted one way and said that the third-party rule did not apply, meaning that the phone is so personal and has so much information that the uh, government had a greater uh, requirement for getting the search warrant. There was a specific type of document that they used to get the warrant or didn't use a warrant. It was something else. I don't remember all the details, but the bottom line is this was a win. The problem here is this was the judicial branch defending somebody because our legislative and executive branches have not passed laws granting this privacy. And there's a large swath in the government, as was pointed out very clearly in Barton Gelman's recent book, Dark Mirror, about um, Snowden, that a lot of people in the government believe it is okay to grab as much data as possible in the order of protecting citizens. I argue that freedom trumps safety and it trumps security. And that is why I am very vocal about privacy. I strongly recommend uh, folks investigating the Electronic um, Frontier Foundation, the EFF, uh, even the ACLU, organizations that will help with privacy. We as cybersecurity professionals need to understand what is happening because we are asked to do things in the workforce that may violate ethics and morals, but be legal. We're not lawyers, at least not all of us. Some lawyers will, and I recommend that people that are in the legal profession that are looking to get into cybersecurity take a look at privacy law, take a look at how corporations are um, reviewing and tracking their employees, and you could become a, a cybersecurity lawyer in this area. So I'm going to take a little breath there. Um, you know, other things that I want to talk about, the cameras. Cameras are a real problem, and there's no defense against this. Uh, I saw a movie recently, it was on Netflix with Charlize Theron, where she was a really an immortal and she didn't want to be in cameras and she was doing some covert military work and some ladies in front of her just took a selfie and she realized that she was captured in the selfie. She didn't want to be in it, so she was very polite. She walked over and she said, hey, would you like if I took a picture of you ladies? They were like, oh, that'd be great. And then she surreptitiously deleted the picture with her in it, took the, self, or took the picture of the ladies and gave the phone back. Most of the time we can't do that. As I said earlier, if I'm at a concert, somebody takes my picture, what am I going to do? So it, it is a real problem. You see issues all the time. Uh, Nicholas Sandman out of Kentucky was in Washington, D.C., and some people were recording him, and at first blush, it looked like he got into an argument with some Native Americans, that he was the aggressor. The media went to town and said that this guy wearing a, a MAGA hat, a, a Donald Trump hat, was uh, the aggressor, and they pilloried him. They defamed him up and down. Well, when more information came out, it turned out that he wasn't the aggressor. He was actually the one that was aggrieved, he ended up suing major organizations, including CNN and the Washington Post, and came out both times with settlements of undisclosed amounts of money because he was defamed. His privacy was violated. They took the recordings from other people that he did not authorize, violated his privacy, slandered his name throughout the media, and fortunately, he was able to go back and protect his privacy. He's gone now. He's a public figure. But he was able to at least show that what they did was wrong and how they used other people's camera data was wrong. They manipulated the information. 
So one of the things that I want to point out, and I will wrap it up here in the next couple of minutes, is that people say, you know, I don't care. I don't have anything to hide. You know, a lot of people say that. And maybe you don't have anything to hide today, but what happens when leadership changes? What happens if there's a nuclear attack that's perpetrated by a certain class of people or a group of people, and the president or the next president or the president after that comes in and says what, what Roosevelt did in 1942, and that was, let's grab all the Japanese and put them in intern camps because the Japanese just bombed Pearl Harbor. People say that cannot happen. Well, people said that back before 1942 as well. Bad things happen when good people remain silent. And it is very important to understand how data can be used, not how data is used. And that is a very important cybersecurity concept. How can people use it because it may be used that way in the future? And for those folks that are out there saying, I'm willing to give up my personal data for better ads and targeted information. Well, that's sad. I'm sorry, I, I don't know what else to say. Go search for your own products. Go search for other uh, means that will uh, enjoy your life without giving up. What you really are doing is your freedom, your privacy, your right to be anonymous, your right to remain unknown. Go take a look at the Fourth Amendment and consider why did they put that in the Constitution of the United States. Go take a look at the Federalist Papers that talk about granting citizens individuality and freedom. That's what this is about. If you take a look again at Barton Gelman's fantastic book, Dark Mirror, where he talks about PRISM, a program that was utilized by the government to go through and uh, get data from Google and Facebook and seven other major firms to identify what people were doing and how they were doing it. And just because you, we're not terrorists and we're not bombing buildings, that's not the point. It is not about what is today. You know, an additional thing that was talked about in another book is the hacker in the state, and that is how AT&T is giving physical access through sniffers to the government. So AT&T is basically providing personal information through physical taps. Now, they'll say, it's not physically touching my hardware. Fair enough, AT&T. Your hardware is touching the government's hardware, and the government is tapping their hardware. It's still the same point. And Verizon does the same thing. We all need to understand what is happening with private sectors and our government and how it is impacting our freedom. We need to know that as citizens, and we need to know that as, uh, as cybersecurity professionals. Um, back to the corporate, understand the MDM, the mobile device management, uh, a company that I've worked for had the ability to remotely wipe my phone. They had the ability to look and snoop and sniff on everything. And I had a choice of getting an Apple device or having them tap my device. And when my phone came up for renewal, I deleted all the MDM. I did not get an Apple device. And now I just don't do corporate email and, or I didn't do corporate email. And my company just lost my productivity because they were spying on me too much. So we need to find our own ways to protect ourselves. And um, I, I will conclude technologically on this. I strongly recommend folks investigate uh, VPNs. I personally use ExpressVPN. They're not a sponsor of this show. However, it is a wonderful, very easy to use product. I use it on my mobile device. I use it on my desktop. Uh, it, it is really a, a great tool. It definitely gives you some privacy. Um, and some knowledge that you're not being uh, spied on. I use DuckDuckGo. I won't touch Google. I turn location off on my phone unless I absolutely have to have it. Um, I will soon start to turn off Bluetooth uh, as they start to do more with contract tracing and utilizing Bluetooth technology as they do in China. And if we take a look at what China's doing, it's a good precursor for what's happening in the United States uh, as well as other Western countries. I know I have an international listening group here. Um, but in China, they have Bluetooth on their devices and they track people. Not only that, in China, they actually track your gait. In other words, how you walk. 
So even if you don't have a phone and you don't have uh, ability to track you that way, with all the cameras that they're using and all the IoT devices and the fact that they not only have facial recognition, they have gait tracking, I don't know how you get around that unless you give yourself a limp or, or, or get a, you know, uh, some other way to you know, walk differently uh, to hide yourself. So there will be new ways that uh, agencies and governments uh, and nefarious individuals will use to track you. Uh, and we need to overcome that. So I do want to conclude with a quote from a Martin Niemöller. He was a Lutheran pastor in Germany during World War II. Uh, he was in the, born in 1892 and died in 1984. This is, I believe, the true quote. I did some research on this. I have the link in the, in the comment section here so you can take a look at it. And, and here's what he says. And I want you to put this into terms of your life today and that of your family and friends. First they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out, because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and no one was left to speak for me. So just to conclude on the, the, the dark, darker content here, it is not about what is happening today. It is about what may happen tomorrow. And I, I, there is one other thing I want to talk about, and that has to do with laws. People say to me, Greybeard, listen, they're using this stuff to catch murderers. Why is that bad? They caught the Golden State Killer after 20 years because of G DNA. My answer to that is fine. I, I'm not going to defend the murderers. I am going to argue about the process. I am going to argue, as Snowden did, and that is, has this been in the light of day? Have people voted for this? Have we agreed as a society that we are willing to allow the government to do this? And what happens when they say, okay, no longer, we're not going to just go after murderers. Now we're going to go after robbers. Now we're going to go after, and I had a local politician tell me this literally happened. He said that there was discussion in New York to use DNA tracking to capture people that were jumping the turnstiles at the MTA, at the Metropolitan Transit Authority. So you hop a turnstile and you basically steal $2.50 to take a train. They're going to use DNA tracing to capture you and make you pay that $2.50. That is not a fake story. That is directly first-hand information given to me by a, a local politician. He's actually he was a state representative, and I have no reason to doubt it. So remember, it's not about what's going on today. It's about what could happen tomorrow. With that said, I hope you stayed for the full 22 minutes. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. I wish you all well and have a wonderful weekend.